Welcome back to the History of the Barbarians podcast, episode 20, Settling In. Last time we looked at the end of the Gothic War in 382 CE and the settlement of the rebelling people in Moesia close to the Danube border that they had crossed in 376. This week we are going to take a look at the status of the Goths in their new settlement throughout the Roman Empire and in the lands north of the Danube. First, let's take a look at the settlement of the Goths that had just resolved their war with Rome as they take up their place on Moesia along the Danube border. The now Fritigernless Goths are taking up their positions as defenders of the Roman border, the very same Danube border that they had crossed in 376 and scavenged through for multiple fighting seasons during the subsequent Gothic War. The Romans saw the settlement of the rebelling Goths as an opportunity to repopulate the region and bolster the defenses as they had been devastated by this very group of people. Putting the Goths in charge of this important and volatile border seems like putting the fox in charge of the hen house. And this arrangement does not seem like a permanent solution and will indeed not last very long. The Goths were given autonomy in this region to rule themselves as they see fit. The Goths practiced the same type of government restructure that they had when they lived north of the Danube decades earlier. They farmed and raised cattle as they did before, but were unable to do this as they marched around the countryside plundering to stay alive during the Gothic War. This autonomous Gothia inside the Roman Empire was worth keeping for the time being. As long as the Goths could maintain their independence, and they would for several years, they were incentivized to protect the status quo in the region. They would want to prevent mass migrations like their own, as they would threaten their own status within the empire's realm. This defense would be important as we will learn that the situation in Guthudia, in the lands north of the Danube, would still be turbulent and only grow more chaotic as the years advance. One group is pushed into making the fateful decision across the frozen Danube in the winter of 384-385. This is a group of Goths, probably a mix of Turingi, Gruthungi, and Simulans. They occupied Helmyris near present-day Debruja, Romania, and were then out of the history books, where we can assume they were either defeated or absorbed into the empire peacefully. Another group would appear on the border in 386, this group would pose a real threat for the status quo. A group of Goths, again, which this group probably was a little more alti-ethic, including Gruthungi and Alans, some Sarmatians, and some others, showed up at the Danube under the leadership of a man named Odotheus. This group was able to force its way into the empire, perhaps not challenged by the Goths settled at the border. This group is able to force its way into the empire, perhaps not challenged by the Goths settled at the border, but they make their way into Thrace. Seeking a settlement similar to that of the Goths at the Danube in Moesia, they are trying to improve their negotiating position with the use of arms. This poses a serious threat to the empire, and therefore, Theodosius needs to find a solution. He sends a man named Promotus to deal with his trouble. He calls up the Federati Goths to fight their invading cousins. And the story comes down to us is that they are lured into some sort of meeting or arrangement where Odotheus is under the impression that both sides would be peaceful. As his group is in a vulnerable position, such as a river crossing, they are attacked and slaughtered by the Romans and their Gothic allies. The leader, Odotheus, is killed, but the survivors are captured. 
Some are sold into slavery, but many are resettled in Phrygia in modern-day central Turkey. And we're going to need to put a pin in these people because these guys will be back at our story in just a couple of episodes. Now, the Moesian Goths will be fighting for the Romans once again in the near future. In 383 CE, a general named Maximus had executed the Western Emperor Gratian and had been running the West for last five years without any real resistance from the Eastern Emperor in Constantinople. Now, Theodosius wants to do something about the usurper and is going to call on his Gothic allies to help him. We see Ricamiris, our old Frankish general, who fled the field at the Battle of Adrianople in the face of the Goths, now leading many of those same Gothic warriors 10 years later into battle in a Roman civil war. This is a really strange circumstance for our characters. The two Roman armies may in August of 388, outside the town of Siscia, which is modern-day Sisic, Croatia. The battle they will fight will be called the Battle of the Save, or Saba, for the river that runs through the town. The Goths, Theodosius, and Ricamiris are on the winning side of the battle, scattering the usurper's troops. There are two very important aspects to this battle that we would like to delve into now. The first is that a large portion of the Eastern Empire soldiers were our Federati Goths, but the army was also made up of other barbarian groups, including Alans and Huns. In Maximus's Western Imperial Army, there were a large portion of barbarians as well. The main barbarian group there was certainly the Franks, but included other German-speaking peoples. This is not a new tactic for Rome, but employing Federati-like relationships in battle to this point had seemed like a minor circumstance. Now it was much more noticeable, and the citizens of Rome took this as a sign. Included in that, Romans such as St. Jerome saw this and the events surrounding the interactions with the barbarian groups as signs for the end of times. He claimed that these were prophetic events that would bring about the end of the world. This is an interesting story about apocalyptic Christian views that we do see from time to time in history and even today, but it really does have a long history dating back to even before this period in the 4th century. Secondly, we see animosity towards the barbarians grow as this reality sets in for many in the empire. Adding fuel to this tension is that several of the barbarians are going to be bought off by Maximus before the battle, which we'll talk a little bit more about later on. Now let's check on our Goths north of the Danube. Most of the Goths north of the Danube did not want a settlement in Rome like Fritigern's group. They did not see Rome as a place of safety, but as a threat full of Christians that were trying to convert them to their heretic ways. A story exemplifies this belief that comes to us after the end of the Gothic War and the settlement of the Goths on the Danube River. A Christian noblewoman of the Trevingai Goths from north of the Danube made a pilgrimage to Constantinople through the settled Goths in Moesia. Her name was Princess Gotha, which she was the mother of another Gothic leader named Aramir, she delivered relics of the martyrs from Athanarch's persecution in the 370s with her daughter, Dulcia, and a man named Vela. Upon returning to the lands north of the Danube, Vela is killed by pagan Goths for their trip into the heretical lands of the Roman Empire. And we can deduce from this story and others that the Tringai Goths outside the Roman Empire are still a mix of both pagan and Christian believers. The Huns at this time are still not in the land directly north of the Danube that we call Guthudia. 
they are still in the Pontic Steppe area and the land north of the Caucasus Mountains. We will not see them on the doorstep, or at least the main body of the Huns, until several years later. They are the rulers of the lands of the Gruthungai Goths in modern-day Ukraine. The Huns have incorporated these Goths into their empire and will be their rulers for almost another hundred years, when we will see these people finally break off the Hunnic yoke. But one aspect of Hunnic rule was that, it seems at least, the Gruthungai were able to keep much of their culture, including their paganist beliefs. Since we are talking about religion, we might as well give a little update on how religion is taking shape and affecting events throughout our narrative. Let's start with the Goths. Ulfila's Goths that have been peacefully settled in Moesia for years now are, of course, Aryan Christians. Ufila dies in 383 in Constantinople. As you remember in episode 10, Little Wolf, we learn that Ufila was the Gothic bishop of Cappadocian Greek and Goth ancestry who is credited for converting a good portion of the Turbingi to Christianity. He was also instrumental in translating the Bible into Gothic, giving us an idea of what the Gothic language was really like. He also led many of the Gothic Christians out of Gethudia during Athanaric's persecutions in the 370s and into settlement in Rome. His people in Thrace are still living as peacefully as possible as Roman citizens and still Christians. He lived his last years in Constantinople and served as a key Aryan leader for that sect's following in the Eastern Empire. The Turingai Goths, Fritigern's version, that are now settled within the empire, are a mostly Aryan Christians as well. The Roman citizens, Gruthungi, Huns, and Alans, and the others that included escaped Roman slaves that made up a minority of Fritigern's group, really from the very beginning of the Gothic rebellion outside Marseille all those years ago, are probably a mixture of religions. It is impossible to say for sure, but the Roman citizens that joined the Goths certainly could have been because of their common Aryan beliefs, which a good number of the Roman citizens in the Eastern Empire were Aryan Christians. The Turingi back in Guthudia, north of the Danube, are probably a community of pagans and Christians, probably Aryan, and considering that the persecutions of Christians drove Ufula and his group out in the 370s, their leadership could still be pagan with an undetermined amount of people being mixed between the two. The Gruthungi are living under the Huns, which at this time in modern-day Ukraine, they are most certainly still Gothic pagan. Meanwhile, within the Roman borders, the empire citizens are a mix of different religions. Christianity is, of course, a large portion of the population, but certainly not the only religion. As mentioned previously, the Aryans did make up a large portion of Christian population in the eastern half of the empire. The western half, though, seems to be predominantly Nicene Christians. Also present in the Roman Empire is the traditional Roman paganism. This is basically the old-school Roman religion that many of us learned about in our school days, along with the Greek version of paganism. The Roman paganism seems to have been especially prevalent within the Roman aristocracy, especially in the West. Knowing the development and spread of Christianity as a groundswell movement, as opposed to a top-down model, this makes sense. And it mirrors our probable makeup in Turingai Goth territory as well. I would be remiss if I did not mention that there were also numerous cults based off various deities. Some were offshoots of Roman paganism, and some were local cults that were associated with religions of conquered people, both in the recent and distant past. We spoke about one example several episodes back, 
as the cult of Mithras, which was a popular cult within the military. Additionally, there was the cult of Jupiter Dolichnus in the east and the cult of Serapis in Egypt that dated back all the way to Ptolemy, one of the generals that took over the Egyptian portion of Alexander's great empire after his death in 323 BCE. Rome had done a very good job of assimilating peoples into their political and cultural systems throughout their history, and this includes religion. Most of the time, after some rough patches, the new cultures would eventually fit into the Roman world and become part of the fabric of society. It is during times of crisis in a culture that we see minority groups that are scapegoated or serve as an item of discrimination to distract the populace from the crisis. And it is during this time in the empire's history we will begin to crack down on non-Christians in the empire in quite an earnest effort. Gratian, a Nicene Christian, will begin persecutions of pagans in his portion of the empire of the West in 383. He will even remove the famous altar of victory from the Roman Senate. Many of the aristocratic Romans will point to this event as proof that the gods of Roman paganism were punishing Rome with all of its troubles because of its abandonment of Rome's true religion. It was requested that the altar be restored in the years after Gratian's death in the latter half of 383, but the request would not be granted until the Roman Eugenius, a pagan himself, would place it back in the Senate during his short reign of 392 to 394. Theodosius I would work against both Arian Christians and pagans during his reign all the way to his death in 395. He would embolden many Roman citizens to destroy temples and churches and discriminate throughout the empire during his reign. One religion-related incident becomes a large crisis within the empire. A Gothic general named Butharic was sent to the marshes of Macedonia in northern modern-day Greece to root out some escaped traders from the army that Theodosius marched to the west to face Maximus. The usurping western general had managed to bribe several of the barbarians, probably many of them were Goths themselves, to join his side when the two armies would meet in battle. When they were found out, many miles from where the battle would actually take place, they fled to the mountains and marshlands that are thinly populated to live as bandits and raiders. After Theodosius defeats Maximus, he stays in the west for some time, but sends Butharic, the Gothic general, back east with his contingent of Goths and to take care of these betraying soldiers. Once Butharic cleans up the marshlands in northern Greece, he and his forces head to Thessalonica to settle in as Theodosius' officials for the region. It is during Butharic's time in Thessalonica we'll see a major issue arise. 390, the Gothic soldiers in the city arrest a famous charioteer in charges relating to homosexuality. The arrest leads to an uproar by the citizens of the city. A mob of the rioters capture and kill Butharic and a number of his officers and soldiers. The Gothic soldiers are under siege as the city is filled with rioters and fire. There are a couple of important things to understand why an arrest of a charioteer could lead to the death of officials of the imperial government and destruction of much of the city, including imperial buildings. First, chariot races are the most popular sport in the empire, with the fan bases being rapid and often had a political bend to the group supporting different athletes or groups of athletes. Most descriptions seem to be a combination of American football fans, Premier League football, but 
double the intensity in both cases. Secondly, the Goths are essentially the police and administration of Thessalonica. The people living in the city are not Goths. They are Roman citizens who speak Greek. They're not going to be appreciative of being ruled by the very people who, less than a decade before, were destroying this region and were the horsemen of the apocalypse, but now they are telling the Romans what to do with their city? So no wonder this becomes a problem. And the last thing, the Goths, culturally, were not very receptive to homosexuality. In contrast, Romans and the Greeks had a long history of acceptance of homosexuality. These divergent cultural views would lead to a rift between the two groups. Emperor Theodosius orders the Goths to retake the city by force, and they do indeed. When all said and done, the Gothic soldiers killed 7,000 citizens. Much of the city was burned to a crisp, but the rioting had ended. The news would soon spread around the empire, and there would even be a situation that would arise between St. Ambrose, the Bishop of Milan, and Theodosius, but I'll direct you to the History of Rome podcast, episode 157, if you're interested in that portion of the story. One of the long-term effects of this situation is that the Goths are going to continue to be viewed as outsiders of the empire and hated by many in the populace. This heightening of tensions will lead to even more issues in the years to come. This tension takes us to the year 391 CE, where a band of Goths, and of course many other people that are made up of the Federati settled in Moesia, rebelled and invaded Thrace. They are going to be led by a young man of royal Gothic blood named Alaric. The Goths were unhappy with their status in the empire and the role of defender of the Danube, which must have been a trying role, as seen by the previous mention of Odoetheus and smaller groups coming to the border region every couple years. They are faced by Promotus, the same Roman general who had been tricking the invading Gorthungi into peacefully crossing a river and then ambushing them while they're on the shoreline and in their boats. Promotus will face this mixed band of people all through 391. Alaric is shadowed by his Roman counterpoint, fighting with him occasionally. He eventually defeats Promotus, which includes the latter's death late in the air. And this will lead to the appointment of a new Roman general, of half-Vandal, half-Roman blood, named Stilicho. That is right, we have the two most famous barbarians associated with the Roman Empire that would eventually face off countless times in major battles, already paired up in 391, when both are just rising stars for their respective groups. While this is occurring in Thrace, there's a little side story that's related. A Tervingai Goth general, under the employment and command of Gothic Roman troops, joined Alaric's revolt, and his name is Eruf. Not much is known about this, but sometime in 391, Eruf is called to a banquet, seeking a peace treaty for himself and his troops, and there is an attending Tervingai Goth under Roman employment named Fravada. Fravada had stayed loyal to Rome. During this banquet, Fravada is said to have attacked his Gothic brethren and killed him with his bare hands for betraying the Romans and joining Alaric. Theodosius is supposed to have been a witness to this event, which leads me to believe that this is a planned assassination, much like what Fritigern almost fell victim to back in 376 in Marcianople. Also, though, part of the story, Fravada, even though he shows loyalty to Rome, essentially is exiled after falling out shortly after this event, 
with key officials in Theodosius's cabinet. Meanwhile, back in Thrace, Alaric is trying to deal with the newly appointed Stilicho as the year turns into 392. And the Vandal general appears to get the best of the young Alaric in the spring of that year, surrounding the Gothic forces near the Maritza River in central Thrace, or modern-day Bulgaria. Alaric and his supporters are then forced into a Frederati status again, which now brings us full circle for our Goths for this episode. They started out as Federati, experienced many, many battles, rebel because of conditions, because of raising tensions, because of the citizens' feelings about the Goths as outsiders. And here we are again, coming to a settlement where they are teaming up with the Romans for a peaceful solution to a rebellion. And that's where we will end for this week. So we will look at the Goths' return to Federati and Alaric's role within the imperial system as he develops into the kind of leader and military commander that will one day make him famous. Some of the resources that we used for this week's episode include Gattaca by Jordanus, Rome's Gothic Wars from the 3rd century to Alaric by Michael Kulikowski, The Goths by Herwig Wolfram, and The Roman Empire and its Germanic peoples by Herwig Wolfram as well. If you like the show, please give us a review on iTunes, Google Play, or the platform of your choice. Check out the History of the Barbarians Twitter accounts and Facebook pages for some more information about our barbarians. And I'd like to give you a big thank you for listening, and I will see you next time.